Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Capital Hard Talk on Wellington Access Radio, 7.83am. I'm here in the studio studio with Scott Dench. Our partner, Jack Comer-Hudson, is running a bit late. This is the problem with buses in our city. They're running late, they're not on time, they're costing too much. So we're going we're gonna to have a few mayoral candidates in the studio uh, in the coming weeks, and we're going to grill them on transport especially. I was out talking to voters in the Eastern Ward today. And the main issue that came up time and time again was transport, the cost of it and the efficiency of it. So I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to chuck that up on the Facebook page. What are your thoughts on transport in Wellington? Is it up to speed with the rest of the country? Uh, where have you been overseas where it's a lot better, a lot more efficient, a lot cheaper? would love to hear your views on that. Uh, Jack's going to be in eventually, and he'll be giving us a bit of an update on the U.S., um, if you've been keeping up to date, some pretty big news in America. Our first ever female nominee for president has been chosen, Hillary Clinton, uh, beating out Bernie Sanders. And of course, she'll be going up against the Donald. Um, we're also going to cover a bit of the Australian election. Now, I'll be over in Australia at the end of the month uh, to observe how the Australian Labour Party operates in Melbourne. And I'm sure I'll be calling in from there. And But for now, I think we're just going to go to some music whilst we wait for our partner Jack. So Scott, what song are we going to be listening to now? This is Passion Pit, Take a Walk on Wellington Access Radio, uh, 783 AM. Let's do it. Oh, here we are, everyone. That was a song I totally forgot the name of, but Scott remember. Scott, what was that song called? If people uh, want to re-listen at home. Passion Pit, Take a Walk. Wasn't it, wasn't it just upbeat and lovely? It was indeed. All right, well, we are how, a week in, I suppose, to our study period. All students across the country know what this period is like. It's one full of pro- procrastination. My favourite form of procrastination is running a radio programme at Wellington Access Radio, 7.83am. Uh, <laughs> Scott, what, how has your study week gone so far? Um, my study week's been all right so far. I've just been doing lots of statistics, study, good old statistics. I'm sure there are a number of people out there who are also doing the same course mm. and are just finding it absolutely riveting. Statistics <laughs> is the most amazing subject. Don't get into it. Don't do it. And uh, I've just got a text from Jack, and he is he is in the building, ladies and gentlemen. Jack, comma, Hudson is in the building. I've actually got to go and let him in. So, Scott, if you could put on some more music... I will, for our I will find us another song. Hey, that'll be fantastic. Scott, Scott's the only person in the studio who knows anything about music, so he'll find something good for us. That's I do not know anything about music. <laughs> yes, you do, Scott, don't lie. If you if you have any suggestions of something that you would like us to play, you can actually um, post it on the Capital Hard Talk Facebook Facebook page and we, we can have actually play Facebook. your music mm-hmm. on our station during our music breaks. Um, so I will get something up. Well, Scott, could you hurry up and get something up? Because yeah, I've got to go and then I'm getting up. It's, it's up now. Okay. All right. And this is Halsey Colors. Okay. <laughs> wow. 
look who's finally showed up in the studio. Hey, hey, Bennett. Uh, Jack, 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 Jack's been rushing. He texted me about public transport, and then I had the briefest rant of all time about how rubbish public transport has become. No, we, well, I appreciate public transport, Bennett. It's, um, <laughs> no, no, we have some of the best public transport in the, uh, in the, country? In the, so- in the Southern Hemisphere. In the Southern Hemisphere. So what, other, so what other countries' them. public transport have you used? Uh, <laughs> no, not that many. But I'm... <laughs> but I'm, I'm I read. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, speaking of uh, reading, we'll cross now to what's happening in the United States. And yeah, so yeah. Obviously, as Capital Hard Talks US correspondent, I'll be covering this. Live from the US? He's um, not actually in the studio. No, no. He, he's in Washington, D.C. Oh, Boston. My well, apologies. Close to Washington, D.C. All right. <laughs> so, uh, over the last few days, this has been some of the weirdest parts of the campaign. And so, the question on everyone's mind is Is Hillary Clinton the Democratic nominee? And you'll be forgiven for answering either yes or no, because the answer is technically both and none. So this is where it gets really confusing. And so uh, Associated Press on Monday, or it was Tuesday our time, declared Hillary Clinton uh, the presumptive Democratic nominee for uh, the White House from the Democratic Party, meaning that it would likely be her versus Donald Trump for the general election in November. So what exactly that means is that Obviously, the race isn't over yet, but she's been declared the presumptive nominee. And think about this, we'll take it right back to the start. And so, to win the nomination of a party, one of the major parties, Republican and Democrat, would nominate a single person for the White House. And to get that nomination, uh, it's measured on a scale called uh, delegates. And delegates are assigned by winning state caucuses and primaries, or in the Democrats' case, also uh, there are delegates which can vote for whoever they want, important Democratic officials like Joe Biden, uh, Barack Obama. Um, and so the way that works is that you need to get 50% plus one of all the delegates in the race. And so for the Democrats, that's 2,383. And so the way you get over that is by, like they said, winning a state caucuses or primaries and so each state are assigned a certain number of delegates which is based usually on their population states like california have massive hundreds of delegates to offer whereas our smaller states like north dakota have um you know only a dozen or so and so what's happened here is that currently sitting at pledge delegates neither our candidates have the required number of pledge delegates and mm. so hillary clinton has 200 uh, sorry, uh, 2,203, uh, and Bernie Sanders trailing by just under 400 delegates on 1,828. But where it gets interesting is superdelegates. And so the Republicans don't really have superdelegates. But superdelegates, uh, there are about uh, 630 of them that are free to vote whomever they like. And it's like I said, they're important Democratic officials, uh, if you're a Democrat member of the House, you're a superdelegate. High-ranking members of the parties in certain states get superdelegate status. I know people like Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, former Democrat presidents, are they superdelegates? Absolutely. absolutely. All, all people who have sat as a right. president and are people, I believe, who have sat as former cabinet ministers. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are 600 of them about. Yeah. And yep. so there are heaps of these people who the Democrat Party likes, the people who have good favour in them. Uh, people have previously done a lot for the Democrat Party, and they are given the right to basically have what's effectively a vote uh, in the convention. In the convention, what will happen is that's where they'll nominate uh, their candidate, and they'll go uh, in a big room through every state, and they'll go, uh, Arkansas, pledge your delegates, and they'll say, 
Uh, we, the state of Arkansas, pledge you know, 32 delegates for Secretary of State Hillary Clinton uh, and 24 delegates for Bernie Sanders. And so they'll go through all of them. But what happens is interesting with superdelegates is that while pledged delegates are bound to a popular vote, so in a hypothetical state with 100 delegates, uh, Bernie Sanders wins 60% uh, and Hillary Clinton takes the remaining 40%, uh, 40 delegates would go to Clinton and 60 delegates would go to Bernie Sanders, roughly. Um, and so that's how you win delegates. But the superdelegates aren't bound anyway, so they can vote for whomever they want. And so at the start of the race, basically all of the superdelegates had pledged behind uh, Hillary Clinton. And they'd done that for quite a while. She is a Democrat Party insider, as opposed to Bernie Sanders, who spent the majority of politi his political campaign as an independent. And so now Bernie Sanders is sitting on 49 superdelegates with Hillary Clinton still with a convincing lead of uh, 581. And so if you combine Hillary Clinton's pledge delegates with her superdelegates, then she technically uh, has 2,784 delegates. So that's well over the required 2,383 delegates. But... Like I said, superdelegates aren't bound to vote anyway, and so they have pledged to vote for Hillary Clinton, but they could, in theory, change their mind. And so that's where it gets confusing, because if all the superdelegates can be trusted to keep to their word, then Hillary Clinton will be the nominee. But there's still the remote possibility that they might change. And I think that's, that's Bernie Sanders' rationale for a saying that he still has a shot in this presidential race. I think very recently he met with Barack Obama. He, he did, right before Barack Obama endorsed Hillary Clinton. There was a speech where he pretty much conceded for the very first time the race was over. And actually I've asked Scott to play us a little clip now, which is Barack Obama's endorsement of Hillary Clinton. So let's take a listen to that. More than a year now, across thousands of miles in all 50 states, Tens of millions of Americans have made their voices heard. Today, I just want to add mine. I want to congratulate Hillary Clinton on making history as the presumptive Democratic nominee for President of the United States. Look, I know how hard this job can be. That's why I know Hillary will be so good at it. In fact, I don't think there's ever been someone so qualified to hold this office. She's got the courage the compassion, and the heart to get the job done. And I say that as somebody who had to debate her more than 20 times. Even after our own hard-fought campaign, in a testament to her character, she agreed to serve our country as Secretary of State. And from the decision we made in the Situation Room to get bin Laden, to our pursuit of diplomacy and capitals around the world, I have seen her judgment. I've seen her toughness. I've seen her commitment to our values up close. I've seen her determination to give every American a fair shot at opportunity, no matter how tough the fight was. That's what has always driven her, and it still does. So I want those of you who've been with me from the beginning of this incredible journey to be the first to know that I'm with her. I am fired up, and I cannot wait to get out there and campaign for Hillary. I also want to thank everybody who turned out to vote and who worked so hard for our candidates. This has been a hard-fought race. I know some say these primaries have somehow left the Democratic Party more divided. Well, you know, they said that eight years ago as well. But just like eight years ago, there are millions of Americans, not just Democrats, who've cast their ballots for the very first time. And a lot of that is thanks to Senator Bernie Sanders, who has run an incredible campaign. I had a great meeting with him this week, and I thanked him 
for shining a spotlight on issues like economic inequality and the outsized influence of money in our politics and bringing young people into the process. Embracing that message is going to help us win in November. But more importantly, it'll make the Democratic Party stronger and it will make America stronger. Secretary Clinton and Senator Sanders may have been rivals during this primary, but they're both patriots who love this country and they share a vision for the America that we all believe in. An America that's hopeful, an America that's big hearted, an America that is strong and fair and gives every child the same chance that we had. Those are the values that unite us as Democrats. Those are the values that make America great. Those are the values that are gonna be tested in this election. And if we all come together in common effort, I'm convinced we won't just win in November. We'll build on the progress that we've made and we will win a brighter future for this country that we love. Uh, that was uh, President Barack Obama with his official endorsement. Aren't you going to miss Barack Obama? I'm going to miss Barack Obama. Hasn't it been a splendid eight years? It's great. Um, <laughs> Not, we love Barack Obama. Yeah. He's, he's done, mm. obviously, incredible good for the American population. You know, but also, he just seems like a, a genuinely a good guy. I met these two Americans in Miramar recently, uh, outside, going to see, I don't know what. But I, I, I noticed their accent, and I said, oh, where are you guys from? And they said, the States. And I said, are you guys embarrassed? And they knew straight away I was talking about Donald Trump. That's all you have to say to America now is, are you just so embarrassed? And they said, yes, yes. But they're not fans of Hillary Clinton. And that's what you get for a lot of Americans. They don't like Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. And if you, if you look at the polls now, Fox News came up for a poll just a few days ago, which has a third-party candidate on 12%. That, that's, um, for that, our listeners, that, that's incredible, that is, that is massive. I don't um, think one of them has ever got above 2% no, before. No, and that's, so that's third parties, are like Jill Stein, the Green Party. Yeah, but this candidate uh, is the libertarian, Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson, the libertarian. Yep. He's looks like he's taking some traction, and just mm. it was uh, yesterday in uh, the United States where Mitt Romney, uh, who was the presidential Republican nominee, uh, last time actually came out saying that he would not vote a Republican in this mm. race, that he'd be giving a Gary Johnson a good look. And so a lot of Republicans in particular, as well as Democrats, are feeling not too happy about the outcome. I think what Gary Johnson, Gary Johnson is an economic liberal, and that's what Donald Trump isn't. And Donald Trump is the first Republican candidate in a long time to not support free trade. So a lot of people who support free trade will go to Gary Johnson, a lot of the millionaires who tend to support the Republican Party. But he's not a social conservative. So he's supportive of things like cannabis legalization. Yeah, well, the Libertarian Party is, is basically, to put in New Zealand terms, it's as close to the ACT Party yep. as you can get. So, a bit more extreme than the uh, ACT Party as well. Yes, of course. Mm. Um, we have everything quite moderate in New Zealand, but yeah. they're, they're very pro a small government, very few restrictions. Mm. Uh, and so you go generally down that vein. Uh, senators like Rand Paul uh, tend to go quite that way, uh, but are still Republicans. Um, and so what this means for Bernie Sanders in this last part of the race, and so uh, this week on the United States Tuesday, um, there were the second to last uh, sets of primaries, and so that's states like California, uh, New Jersey. And so the only remaining um, contest is Washington, D.C. Uh, and so there are 104 delegates available there. 
not no word on what that will be polling like. There's not too much polling data for Washington, D.C., uh, though because of its demographics and the states that surround it, it could really go either way. Um, but in the end, it really doesn't matter, to be honest. Um, the secretary does have uh, a massive delegate league, and it's unlikely that the superdelegates will drop. And so that's usually because superdelegates tend to tie themselves to the popular vote. And so... Um, the biggest criticisms of superdelegates, uh, particularly by Senator Sanders, are obviously that they're quite undemocratic. And so uh, there's a sizable voting force on the convention that isn't bound by the popular vote. But uh, in the inverse of that, superdelegates in history tend to have tied themselves uh, to the popular vote. And so that's one of the reasons why superdelegates exist. It's to avoid uh, what's called a broker convention. And so the convention isn't simply decided on who gets the most delegates. Uh, you have to reach a certain threshold, and that threshold is, as I said earlier, 50% plus one. And so superdelegates were originally thought up so that the superdelegates would jump on to the candidate with the most uh, pledge delegates to push them over the line to avoid having a, a brokered convention. A brokered convention is where uh, delegates that are pledged, so have a legal obligation to vote a certain way, uh, so they get released from... Uh, their duties to vote a certain way and so they can vote for whomever they want and this has happened several times in history and often results in very unpredictable outcomes like the last time it happened um, the candidate who ended up being pushed forward actually wasn't even running uh, and so anyone can vote for anyone delegates from any stage can push for any candidate they want regardless of whether or not that person's actually on the ballot or is even running and so uh, generally that becomes quite messy, uh, and so that's why superdelegates were dreamed up. And so basically uh, the die is cast for this presidential race, and the primaries are almost over, and it looks like it's going to be Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton, President Barack Obama, Vice President Joe Biden, important senators uh, such as Elizabeth Warren, all since California primaries have come out officially endorsing Hillary Clinton, and this is... It's to be expected. It's basically the part of the primary race when all of the important officials in a party begin to endorse their candidate and they start actively going out to campaign for that candidate. Uh, now, what makes it interesting is if you look to the other side of the House, uh, where Donald Trump, although he's the presumptive Republican nominee, he now has all the delegates he needs and mm. no more opponents. Mm. Uh, his race has become stagnated and embroiled in even more controversy than Clinton's right now. Even though he obviously didn't have to fight for California, uh, comments recently made, including uh, questioning a judge of Mexican descent's ability to uh, give a fair ruling on the Trump University fraud cases, I received condemnation by Paul Ryan, who is the Republican Speaker of the House, as well as uh, other high-ranking Republicans officials. And this isn't uh, new, of course. Donald Trump has been condemned by many of his fellow Republicans, and many more of his fellow Republicans refused to back him. Uh, Marco Rubio came out and said, even though he supports Donald Trump, he stands by everything he said in the primary campaign, which includes uh, direct quotations like, Donald Trump should not be allowed to be in charge of nuclear weapons. When questioned on that just this week, Marco Rubio said that he still stands by that statement. And I think that's a sentiment shared by a lot of Republicans, is mm. that Donald Trump isn't great. And Paul Ryan came out and said that the comments he made were basically uh, the textbook definition of racism. But uh, mm. the, line, it, the line that we keep hearing from them is, well, at least he's not Hillary Clinton. Isn't it interesting? These guys don't have, I suppose, the political guts to not endorse him. All in the past few weeks, they've all come out and endorsed him. And you've got to wonder, in 
20, 30 years, people are going to look back and they're going to say, what did you say and what did you do when Donald Trump was rising up? What did you say against it and how did you stand against it? And none of these guys are actually going to be able to say they did anything. They all endorsed him. They all said bad things against him. But at the end of the day, they all endorsed Donald Trump. And it's, it's a... It's a sad day I, I in politics mm, when I find yeah. myself agreeing uh, with Mitt Romney, mm. of all people. Because, honestly, in the Republican Party right now, he seems to be one of the only people who's making sense. I mean, Bennett and Jack, that is assuming that Donald Trump is elected and that no, this not whole necessarily. thing doesn't blow over. Not necessarily. I mean, D- Donald Trump, it doesn't stop when Donald Trump loses. No, certainly not. He's created this massive movement and anger in America, and that isn't going to go away. Nor is the anger of Bernie Sanders has created. That's there no, to that's, stay. That's, that's there to stay. I think eventually the establishment will lose power of the White House, the Republican, the Republican and Democratic establishments. And to look at the uh, the race as it stands, obviously now uh, with the primaries kind of rolling down, the conventions will happen in July. But really now it's starting to campaign for their candidates. Mm. And so the way it's looking. Uh, the polling is very, very grim for the Republican Party right now. Uh, Hillary Clinton previously had up to 14 points of lead. She did take a dip over the last few months, but in the last month alone, Donald Trump has dropped six percentage points against a hypothetical matchup with Clinton. The closest matchups put him still uh, one to three points behind Hillary Clinton, and to put that uh, into perspective, US presidential races are always incredibly close. Uh, the last election cycle uh, with Mitt Romney versus Barack Obama was less than 1%. It was the decider. And so the fact that Hillary Clinton is in the majority of polls, even the Fox News poll, absolutely smashing Donald Trump by sometimes even double digits is just unprecedented for uh, the Republican nominee. And so it looks like uh, Hillary Clinton has it in the bag. That being said, obviously it could change quite significantly. Uh, But it's also looking quite good for Hillary Clinton in key swing states. And so now in the United States, because of its its sheer size, the way that state legislature works, uh, votes are allocated differently. And so certain states like Florida, New Hampshire, uh, have a higher proportional uh, influence over the American election, meaning that a vote cast there is theoretically uh, more powerful and it holds more sway in various ways over the American election. And so what that means, uh, because Hillary Clinton is polling quite far ahead, uh, that she's got a sizable lead and the fact that Donald Trump's party isn't unifying around him is not really good news for him, but we'll keep we'll keep an eye on that. Thank you very much, Jack, for that update on what is becoming a very interesting election, certainly the most interesting one. I can remember, and I only remember three. <laughs> and 2008 was a very interesting election. I think if you ask most people where they were when Barack Obama was elected, they they will know. And I think people will know where they were when Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump yeah. is elected. Well, it was, it's, it's, it was a good moment, and mm. uh, she, she did give a great speech. Mm. Um, it was very reminiscent of her speech that she made uh, when she lost the primary uh, back in uh, 2008 to Barack mm. Obama. Mm. Um, about the glass ceiling mm. but now of course she's it's, got there and so she was able to give a speech about what how important that is and of course that's a that's something that can't be understated i mean mm. there have been mm. dozens of presidents of the united states and it's only now in 2016 that a woman has even been the nominee for a major party so this is it's quite an important and milestone. No, no one can take that away from her wherever you stand politically 
Well, yes, of it's a tremendous moment. Now, we're going to go to a song, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the other major election happening in our world right now, the Australian election. So this is The Mutton Birds, Dominion Road. Once a jolly swagman camped by a billabong Under the shade of a coolabar tree He sang as he watched and waited till his billy boy Wellington Access Radio, 7.83am We are wondering- Capital Hard Talk, I'm Jack with my co-host Bennett and our producer Scott What have we got up next, Bennett? Well yeah, if you're wondering why we're playing the most Australian song of all time Is Jack Disquad Do you know, actually they had a referendum I think in the 90s and 20% of Australians voted for that song to be their anthem. Well, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> that is certainly interesting. And so we've got an election coming up there, don't we? We man? do have an election coming up in Australia, but just to kick things off, I have seven questions about Australia and Australian politics. Australia, it's, it's, a, it's a big country. It's uh, very important to us in New Zealand. It's our closest ally and cousin. But we don't know a tremendous amount about their politics and their process. So here's, here's just seven questions about Australia and Australian politics. <coughs> I'm going to ask Scott first, and then we'll see if Jack knows. Name the seven Australian states and territories. Um, okay, so there's New South Wales, Tasmania, um, uh, North... Northwest Territory is one. Northern Territory. Northern Territory. Um, I have no clue which part uh, Perth in that that whole side are part of. Would you like me to jump in? Let's let's yeah, see yeah. if Jack Jack can do it. That's the Western Australia. It's where Perth is. There's also a Queensland, a New South Wales. I, can't I think South is that all of them? South Australia. South Australia and ACT. All right. Wait, what? What is ACT? Australian Capital Territory. Oh, just just Canberra. um Canberra, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, name the capital. Canberra. 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 Well done. Interesting place for a capital, not particularly yeah. large. Yeah. And it's really interesting because no one thinks of Canberra as the capital because it never comes up. Do you know, as Kiwis, we've all got family in Australia, and I've got family in Melbourne, Brisbane, and Sydney, but no one in Canberra. I don't have anyone in yeah. Australia. Do you have got anyone in Canberra? Uh, name the Prime Minister of Australia, Scott. Well, you'd be... I don't know. I haven't checked the news. <laughs> news so I'm likely to get that one. Wrong. Um, no, no clue after... It's Malcolm Turnbull. Malcolm yeah. Turnbull. That's correct. Uh, name the Prime Minister he replaced. Tony Abbott. Well done, Tony Abbott. And before that was Julia Gillard. I know that much. I think it was Kevin Rudd. It was, yeah, it was Kevin Rudd. Yeah, but then Julia Gillard, then Kevin Rudd. Yeah, Julia, uh, uh, Julia Gillard was, was ousted by Kevin Rudd. And then correct. Kevin Rudd lost the election to Tony Abbott, who was then ousted by Malcolm Turnbull. And then God knows what happened in a few days' time. Uh, what party does the current Prime Minister belong to? I'll, that, I'll pass this on to Jack. Um, something liberal? The Liberal Party? The Liberal Party the liberal is liberal correct. Party. Uh, name the leader of the Labour Party. Oh, that I wouldn't know, no. Bill Shorten. Uh, now, name one third party in Australia. The Greens. The Greens. The Greens. Everyone has now, a Greens, the Greens. The Greens hold a seat in Melbourne. They actually hold, so that's pretty significant. I mean, in New Zealand, the Greens do very well in the party vote, but in Australia, they actually won an electorate seat. And that was the central city of Melbourne, central city seat of Melbourne. It was won by a man called Adam Bant. 
Now, there's a few distinct differences between the Greens and Australian Labour. The Greens don't support offshore detention centres, whereas the Labour Party does. And so, so, that's so detention centres uh, like Easter Island, which yep. have been embroiled in a lot of controversy mm. lately with uh, prisoners being moved there, uh, awaiting deportation, or even cases of uh, migrants coming in from Pacific Islands or Southeast Asia are uh, being stored uh, in territories that are technically not within Australian jurisdiction, and so that's been used as potentially and allegedly a cover-up for some pretty bad treatment. Basically, and so what we're seeing in the more, uh, I say liberal, but in Australia liberal means something different, in the more leftist and socially liberal parts of inner-city Australia, there is a massive movement towards the Greens over Labour, because Labour is seen as a rather conservative party in Australia. Uh, the Liberals are just seen as quite insane, quite out there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's looking like an interesting election. At the moment, it's 50-50 between Malcolm Turnbull and the Liberal Nationals and Bill Shorten and Labour. And what I've asked for Scott to play for us now is the first two adverts of the campaign. And I think the first one we're going to listen to is from the Liberal Party. And there's a big focus on the economy. So let's take a listen to that one. Strong new economy with more than 200,000 new jobs for Australian workers. Back the Liberal plan that's working for a strong new economy. It's quite a short ad. I think that was about 15 seconds. Um, 15 seconds exactly. 15 seconds, there you go, I've memorised it. Uh, then we've got an ad from the Australian Labour Party. Now the Australian Labour Party this election is running on 100 policies. And of course you can't fit those all in one ad. So what they've done is they've put up a website which is just called 100 policies, and I, Scott doesn't have the right video, so I'll find it for him in just a second. But you can go on there, and it's just pages and pages of policy detail. So that, that, that's what they're running on this election in Aussie Labor. Um, Jack, I'm just going to get you to talk a little bit now about your thoughts uh, about this election. Well, um, I mean, Australian elections are always really interesting, and that's probably due to the fact that the last time uh, an Australian president, sir, uh, prime minister, sorry, uh, served a full term. Was back when you know Barack Obama was still candidate Obama of the of the Democratic primary. The first iPhone was still uh, the most current iPhone, and so there's a lot of mistrust and a lot of instability within the Australian Parliament right now, and so that is tend to have led to a lot of political distrust in the system, uh, and so really parties right now are trying to show strength. They need to rally behind a particular leader. That's why stuff like 100 Policies has come out. It's parties need to show that they're broad mm. and that they're unified uh, behind a particular person because, quite frankly, the Australian population seems to be quite tired of mm. not being able to like and actually, properly sit in with a prime minister. It's quite similar for Australia, uh, America. Sorry, is a poll's come out recently in Australia which shows a record percentage of Australians do not support the two main parties. And that's what we're seeing in America. So it's a bit of a worldwide trend. People are really looking for something different. Now the next ad I want to play, and Scott, you're not on the right tab. The next ad I want to play is one by Malcolm Turnbull. And I want to play this one because it's very presidential. And I just want you guys to see if you can see why it is so presidential American and America type ad. I spent with my dad. Uh, he was a single father. And we lived together, two guys, you know, big brother, little brother really was the type of relationship. We were incredibly close. Uh, we didn't have much money. He was a hotel broker. 
and for most of that time he was he was battling like a lot of a lot of people are a lot of single parents are certainly and he, he did well uh, after a while in the latter part of his life he kicked a few goals after a lot of effort but he taught me a lot of amazing things uh, he was incredibly loyal very very strong very disciplined uh, I was the main object of everything he wanted to achieve he was very focused on doing what was right for me and so when my mother left us, he always spoke about her in the most glowing terms. He talked her up, he told me how much she loved me. He did everything to make sure that we had the closest relationship. I didn't feel I missed out on anything because I had lots of love. A father who was very strong, very loyal and filled with love, who, who never left me in any doubt that he loved me more than anything, anything on earth. Well, that certainly ticks all of the, the presidential canon mm. boxes. Uh, music that starts off somber, then goes to more upbeat. Doesn't it talk tug about at the your father, Talking about family, mm. talking about uh, economic struggles. Mm. That's It's perfect model political ad, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, and a, a lot of people are responding to that ad really well. I mean, a lot of the ads so far have been about policy. This ad's just about Malcolm. And increasingly, that's what elections are becoming about in in the Western world, is they're about the person rather than the party. That's a bit disappointing, but I can see how Malcolm Turnbull's really trying to win over the electorate with well, that it's, ad. It's people politics. Mm. It's, it's now, quite popular. People like to, like to see a person, mm. and particularly in Australia, I would think that's quite pertinent, mm. that the party needs to be showing someone who is realistically going to actually be the sitting Prime Minister and not going to be ousted. Mm. Um, with, with Tony Abbott, there was, there was really no warning. It was, there was uh, some rumours going around Parliament for a little bit, but then it was really one day he was Prime Minister, the next day he wasn't. Mm. And I mean, think about how frequently they're changing now with this revolving door leadership. Is there, right now in Australia, there's a three-year-old who has witnessed the reigns of four Prime Ministers. That is quite impressive. That is impressive. And I'm, I'm 18, and I've witnessed exactly that number as well, I think. Four. Yes. It's incredible. And I've got one last ad um, that I want to everyone to listen to. This is from the Labour Party. 100 Positive Policies. Labour will have 100 positive policies. We'll keep weekend penalty rates. Make multinationals pay their fair share of tax. Stop $100,000 university degrees. We'll make health number one, protecting Medicare. And Labour's Your Child, Our Future will mean every child at every school gets more individual attention. But 100 positive policies can't fit into one ad, so they'll all be right here. Bill Shorten and Labour will put people first. Well, put people first. That's the message from Bill Shorten. And I will be over in Melbourne on uh, later this month, and I will be reporting from there, from the ground, and seeing what the mood is. Because it's all very well for us to sit here in our armchairs in a Wellington studio and say this is what Australia, what's, what's happening in Australia, this is how Australians are feeling. But I, I'm going to go down there and get a good feeling for myself. And I, I love elections. It's always great to be talking about them. And uh, the Australian election is, is turning out to be quite interesting. It'll be definitely... Uh, interesting to see how that's really going. So now moving just to, to cover a little bit of New Zealand news. John Key has just been over in Fiji. And that's the first uh, visit a New Zealand uh, Prime Minister has made in, I think it's just over 10 years. And so uh, the last leader would have been Helen Clark uh, visiting mm. over. Mm. And so uh, things on the agenda there were obviously 
United Nations Secretary General Helen Clark. And so John Key's been going around the world. He's been talking to heads of other countries. He's, of course, talking to uh, Bainiorama about getting a Fiji's vote for uh, the United mm. Nations Secretary General mm. for Helen Clark. And, of course, that vote uh, is done in the General Assembly. So, firstly, they'll, uh, Helen Clark will have to be uh, confirmed by the Security Council, those 15 member states of which New Zealand currently is one. She'll probably make it through that, as everyone will. There's not likely to be any vetoes or the permanent five nations like her. And so now the step for her is to get as many votes from the General Assembly as possible. And so that's what John Key's doing now. Uh, there was some controversy over his trip, over the treatment of reporters from New Zealand, uh, particularly Pacific correspondent Barbara Drever from TVNZ, uh, who was put on the media blacklist uh, for Fiji, so she's not allowed to go there anymore. Uh, and that was through allegations of misreporting, uh, the reporting of children eating grass uh, in Fiji due to starvation. Um, and so that's allegations that TVNZ adamantly deny, but of course has led to a lot of bad blood between um, Fiji and TVNZ in particular, but also the New Zealand media. And uh, although that was apparently stressed by John Key, uh, there was a, a speech given right at the start of that conference uh, that very clearly said, uh, set the tone for that meeting that reporters who continued to spread lies or were alleged to spread lies, I'm, I'm doing my ear quotation mm. marks there, uh, wouldn't be allowed. And so that would, that really overshadowed uh, the whole trip. Also, uh, John Key was unable to or didn't attempt to, uh, no official minutes have been released, uh, get a confirmation that Fiji would attend uh, the Pacific Islands Forum uh, this year. And so uh, generally we'll have to see what sort of political trip and what sort of uh, outcomes we got from that. But uh, generally, it's looking like it probably uh, was a successful trip, I'm thinking. Mm. Uh, and of course, John Key will now having to be get home and dealing uh, more with some of the heat he's been getting mm. uh, over his son, uh, Max Key, oh, uh, posing uh, modelling. Hey, you know what? I used to... I'm just going to briefly talk about that. I used to defend... Max Key, quite a bit. I mean, it's totally unfair that people attack him just because John Key's his dad. I get that. But now I feel like he's kind of using John Key's fame to progress his own sort of a career. Um, so what's happening <laughs> is um, he was Am photographed I, uh, uh, holding a cigarette that's in right, one of the that's pictures. Right, that's right. And so the, the flack there that he's been getting is that, of course, as we discussed in our last episode, uh, one of the key components of the national budget was uh, a progressive tax that would increase over the next few years on smoking. Uh, and so it's a case of mixed messages, effectively. Oh, yeah. is that if, I mean, John Key and his government are putting forward one thing, and then supposedly Max Key is, is going against that. Yeah, if you want people to smoke, <coughs> glamorise it. Give a pretty boy a cigarette and take a photo of him, and people are going to buy cigarettes. Yeah, no. That's a pretty clear path. Well, it wasn't advertising cigarettes, but yes. It, it it's pretty much is. It definitely is. No, I mean... For clarity, and for it was not a cigarette. It was advert. it was not a cigarette advert, but it, you look at that and you don't go, "Oh, cigarettes are terrible." No, do exactly, you? that's the thing. And so, <sighs> I mean, I, I usually tend to think that we should separate Max Key from John Key, but of course, at, at mm. times like this, it's very, very difficult. And I mean, John um, Key was approached about this, and he said, "There's no problem with it. There's no problem that he's holding a cigarette." Well, actually, there is. There is. A, there is. I mean, if you're trying to push one thing, 
I mean, yeah. my opinion about cigarettes is my own. I'm I don't actually support a total outlaw, which seems to be the way we're going. We want no, to be well, we, I mean, we, we want to be we want to be smoke free by twenty. We want we want to be smoke free, but then again, a, a total outlaw. Usually, when it comes to politics, as odd as it sounds, a complete ban of something usually is counterproductive. It mm, leads exactly. to stuff like the the rise of the black market, and so um, stuff like uh, these measures probably uh, don't work. But then again, like I said, it's it's hypocritical. It seems it is. That's the right word, hypocritical. And so it'll be interesting to see how that saga plays out. We'll be updating that uh, on our Facebook page, and so that that brings us uh, kind of to the end of. Uh, this broadcast for the week. Uh, a quick disclaimer before we go, we're Capital Hard Talk on Wellington Access Radio, 783 AM. I'm Jack with my co-host Bennett and producer Scott. Uh, and as a final disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed by me, myself, uh, co-hosts, correspondents, uh, guests, and anything affiliated with this show or our other social media broadcasts is in no way indicative of any of the views of any other organisations, particularly uh, the Wellington City Council, Wellington City Youth Council, and of course Access Radio. Those views uh, specifically said are our own and not to be taken as views of any organisations associated with us. And so uh, my name is Jack and uh, I'm bidding you a good afternoon. If you're watching in a podcast, then whatever time of day is... Uh, have a great day. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye. And we will end on Broods Bridges.